as we gather to practice, our intention is to protect the chitta or mind, to gather and restrain it. And if we manage to do this consistently, then our calm or samadhi will progress to the level of kanika samadhi or momentary concentration, which will be experienced as a brief moment of calm or lucid calm just for one small period of time. The mind and heart in such an experience will be filled with pity or rapture and feel full. The experience of samadhi, even in a short duration, such as kanika, is characterized by the five samadhi factors that the Buddha spoke of, namely vitaka, vichara, or directed thought and evaluation, piti, rapture, sukha, pleasure, and ekagata, or one-pointedness of mind. When we are experiencing the first two of these five factors, vitaka vichara, directed thought and evaluation, we might be experiencing them as a contemplation. When we engage these two first active factors, we contemplate what we are attached to. And by contemplating and asking ourselves what we are attaching to in our experience at this moment, we are able to let go of that attachment. As we let go, the heart experiences relief and rapture, namely pity, the third samadhi factor. And this small progression from the first two active factors of the five samadhi factors to the third of rapture represents, even if we think of what it represents as a small amount of progress, it's still significant and it's the correct path. It's a small step, but a reliable step and brings the heart a sense of well-being. Once we experience this pity or rapture, the heart experiences the fourth samadhi factor of sukha, or fullness of heart, pleasure, happiness. And all of these samadhi factors come from our intention and efforts to protect our mind and heart. Longpur Cha taught us the protection or the importance of protecting the mind in this way. When various mental impressions come in and impact the mind and heart, we don't follow them. We don't get lost in the various impressions and thoughts which come to us every day. Rather, we restrain the mind from following after these things. We develop mindfulness and we also develop the four Brahma Viharas or what are known as the divine abodes. This includes metta, 
or loving kindness as the first, which is the general, general wish for all beings to be happy. The second, karuna, is compassion or the natural reaction and care that the heart experiences when it sees another being suffer. The third, mudita, or gladness, is the experience of seeing another being feel happy or experience success and rejoicing in that. And the fourth, Brahmavihara Uvupeka, is equanimity or equipose and consists of a certain ability to hold uh, even the suffering of other beings with an equanimity or a solidity in our own hearts and not be shaken. When our hearts are imbued with these four divine abodes, these four wholesome loving states, then they are, then our hearts are strong and protected. Similarly, we must work to protect and strengthen our heart by developing sati or mindfulness. When various impressions come and impact our minds throughout the day, a strong sense of mindfulness allows us to remain unshaken. There are many ways of developing this quality of mindfulness. One of the most powerful is the practice of mornanusati, or mindfulness of death. We may ask ourselves internally how many years we really have left in our lives we can remind ourselves that our lives are uncertain and could end at any moment. We may, even assuming we live to the ripe age of 75 years, count how many years that leaves us of life. If we were to live to 75, how many years do we have left today? And after another few years, how many will we have left then? As we contemplate death in this way, we become aware of the fragility and fleeting nature of our lives. And we naturally become more sincere and dedicated in our Dharma practice. Passing in trivial emotions based on the defilements or kilesa such as jealousy, anger, and greed, become far less compelling. We're able to let go of them in the light of how little time we have left and how precious this opportunity of practice is. As we recollect death, we find it easier to establish ourselves in ethical action or sila, and we leave the defilements behind more easily. We drop things that aren't important. It's true, however, that even with this recollection and even with these skillful modes of practice, there come times in our lives every day when the kilesa or defilements gain strength and maga or the path weakens. 
in such times we may buy into, get lost in, or follow our mental impressions and defilements. However, when this happens, we can not make a huge deal out of it. We can simply see that this is one place where the mind is. It, it goes through states and periods where it isn't as strong and not make a huge problem out of it, but rather endure, avoid creating bad karma based on those states and apply ourselves to trying to find strength again in our minds and hearts. We might decide to sit meditation a bit more and over time, through our continued effort in the practice, we'll find that the mind again gains strength and is able perhaps to let go and transcend those defilements which for a time had overwhelmed it. As we do this, our dittimana or self-view, the attachment to the sense of self and possessions, uh, fades and weakens, and we are able to let go of the kilesa of greed, hatred, and delusion more and more. For example, we might feel anger when encountering others in our lives who hold different viewpoints than ours. But when we have a degree of mindfulness and a practice that is consistent, then we're able to let go even of this anger. This is why the Buddha in a Dhammapada verse repeat, uh, said clearly that one who protects their mind, the citta, escapes Mara's snare. When we live without this sense of mindfulness or the one who knows watching over us, it can be compared to allowing a child to roam without any supervision, without some adult looking after a child, they are liable to touch fire, to perhaps fall in water, to get into all sorts of danger. And the chitta, the mind, is the same. If there's no knowing quality, no mindful quality imbuing the mind, then it will tend to run after various things and hurt itself and others. This is why our goal in practice is to develop and strengthen the quality of sati or mindfulness, also known as the one who knows. With this knowing quality strengthened, then we see clearly when we're falling into like and dislike, and we are able to constantly train, remind, and restrain ourselves from getting lost in such liking and disliking. If we find we are liking something in a way that's not moderate or is too much, we can tell ourselves, it's not sure, na, that uh, this is not certain. This is how Ajahn Chah taught us to practice. If we don't like something, similarly, we can remind ourselves, it's not sure, it's changeable, not permanent. If we don't like a certain type of food, we can remind ourselves that this can change. If we don't like a person or do like a person too much, similarly, we use the same reflection. It's not sure. It's changeable. 
little by little, this reflection instills the perceptions of the three characteristics of reality that the Buddha taught, namely anicca, dukkha, and anatta, that is, changeability, suffering, and not self. We teach our minds to contemplate these three characteristics in the world around us continuously, seeing how external phenomena, external things in our lives are changeable, how they are tied up with suffering, and how they are not worthy of being called or taken as a self or as true possessions. We learn to let go more and more. And this is the equivalent of protecting our hearts. Ajahn Shah taught us that it is this simple, that we simply avoid falling into liking and disliking through this reflection. And that in this way, we learn to let go and protect the heart. This is why we use mindfulness and strengthen it. However, if we are constantly engaging in such contemplation, reminding ourselves that the various things in our lives are unsure and changeable, and constantly contemplating the external sense impressions and internal thinking that we experience every day, the mind will grow tired and mindfulness will weaken. It's as if the body working all day without rest grows fatigued. Similarly, if the mind is constantly contemplating and restraining in this way, it grows exhausted as well. And this is why when we sense that we are getting tired in this way, we should let go of the contemplation for a time and come back to a meditation object based or focused on bringing the mind to a sense of calm and peace, what is known as a samatha meditation object or an object of tranquility, which may be the mindfulness of the breath, for example. So it is a powerful contemplation to look at when we are falling into liking and disliking. But once again, if we never stop contemplating in this way or do it too much throughout the day, the chitta, the mind grows tired. And this is why we must come back to something like anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing at times to calm and rest the mind in samadhi, or lucid calm. Once the mind has been rested, it is bright and can see once again clearly. It is able to grow in wisdom. From there, we can contemplate many things. We can contemplate dependent origination, Paticca Samuppada, the 12 links that the Buddha expounded as the 
origin and cycle of birth and death and suffering which we experience. We may contemplate external phenomena in more simple ways and still arrive at great insight. For example, the Buddha's first uh, teaching, the Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta, was given to the five ascetics, his former companions, and one of them, Anya Kondanya, saw clearly from that teaching the simple fact that everything that arises passes away. But because his mind was calm, because it had been rested in samadhi, this simple insight was enough to help him achieve the first stage of liberation or stream entry, sotapanna. When we have mindfulness, when listening to a Dhamma talk, then that sati or mindfulness can be used as a tool to contemplate and develop wisdom. However, if the chitta or mind is too tired, then that mindfulness will be weak, and that is when we need to rest in samadhi. As we rest the mind in samadhi, many experiences can appear. The factor of pity or rapture can arise in the mind that is experiencing samadhi, and that might allow strange or novel impressions to arise in us. For example, we might perceive that our hands have disappeared or our feet have. We might feel that the body's become light or is even floating, expanding or contracting. The experience of pity or rapture is accompanied by many strange perceptions in this way. And when we have brought the mind to this state of refinement where it's experiencing pity and samadhi, then we can turn it to contemplate itself in the third satipatthana or foundation of mindfulness, chittanusati, uh, where we see clearly if it's liking or disliking. We see that the mind is caught up in aversion or attraction. And we can see this quickly and with great clarity because of its calm. We see if the mind has been caught in any of the kilesa of greed, hatred, or delusion. We see when the mind is with these defilements and also when it is free from them. And we, when we ask ourselves why it is free from them, we see it's because at that moment, the mind is not attaching to anything or to these various defilements. We listen to the great teachers, the Kruba Ajans, and they taught us this path. They've walked this path before and seen the truth. Ajahn Chah, we have great faith in. He was one who has similarly walked this path, and we can be absolutely sure of his realization and attainment and trust what he tells us as the correct path towards awakening. And in 
some instances, he articulated this path with extreme simplicity and clarity, saying that the path to see Dhamma was as simple as not falling into liking or disliking. At one time, I was walking Jongram, walking meditation, and thought to myself continuously what the quickest and most direct mode of practice was. And Ajahn Chah, following this as if he almost knew what I was thinking, gave a Dhamma talk uh, directly afterwards on how the most direct path of practice was this, simply not falling into liking and disliking. To protect the mind in this way can be compared to how a herder looks after a water buffalo. If one leaves a water buffalo to its own devices, then it'll get into the newly planted rice fields and eat all the rice plants, ruining the harvest. This is why we need the one who knows mindfulness to protect and look after and restrain the mind so that it does not fall into liking and disliking and get into all sorts of trouble. If we apply this teaching to the chain of dependent origination, we, beginning at the link of pasa or contact, sensory contact of the eyes seeing a form, the ears hearing a sound, and so on, uh, note that this contact leads to feeling, vedana, liking, disliking, or uh, pleasure, pain, or neither pleasure nor pain. And that through a series of links, this Vedana leads to craving, attachment, birth, and then finally to suffering. And we can see that this whole chain leading up to suffering begins or centers in some ways on these links of contact, feeling, and craving attachment. And this grouping of links is exactly what Ajahn Chah was pointing to when he told us to not fall into liking or disliking. As we experience Vedana, pleasant or painful feeling, we can avoid, we can simply know that Vedana, that feeling, and avoid falling into liking and disliking it, which short circuits the following links that inevitably end in suffering. And this is how the simple teaching of not falling into liking and disliking was in fact related to the more complex and canonical teaching of dependent origination, namely the links of Vedana, Tanha, and Upadana, feeling, craving, attachment. So this path to seeing the Dhamma begins simply. It does not have to always deal with these higher, more philosophical teachings. As a lay pe person, one should keep the five precepts. One should cultivate the three refuges in the heart. That is, the refuge in faith in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. 
this is our beginning point in practice. We can look and cultivate these refuges and develop our morality, our concentration and our wisdom until they gather together and see the Dhamma or give rise to a vision of the Dhamma. No one needs to tell us what level of realization we've reached or are at, whether it be a stream enterer or a once returner or an arahant. This is not important. Rather, the path and our focus on the path is what is essential. And this begins once again with the simple practice of sila, samadhi, and panya, ethical conduct, concentration, and wisdom. It begins with the simple intention to not fall into liking and disliking. As we practice in this way, we progress inevitably along the path. We cultivate giving. We cultivate ethical conduct. We put forth effort constantly. When someone in our house says something we don't like or that rubs us the wrong way, we see if we can let go of that anger. We're always aware and protecting the mind. So this is a day we can recollect as special, as significant. And as we learn to practice, as we cultivate the formal meditation, the mind will grow more accustomed to objects of calm. For example, the meditation word Budo. It'll grow cool. It will be able to let go more easily. We'll experience the five samadhi factors and in general learn to remain with one object which will help it let go of attachment and uh, craving in general. And this is a powerful practice and the path that will take us eventually to realization. So I believe I've said enough tonight, but I want to encourage everyone to put forth their sincere effort on this path.